Father, we bless you for hope that's been placed into us, God, that doesn't disappoint because of the love that you've given us in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that your word is really a textbook on hope from first to last. Thank you for that day, for that expectation. God, an anchor in your presence. We pray this evening that you would come and, again, just to speak to us, even as we've spoken to you in song, God, and in confession and declaration. Come, God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, you've inspired God's word. Come and brood over your new creation. Make us more alive, more active towards you, and more dependent upon you with gladness. Again, we thank you for being with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I grew up in a tradition that didn't celebrate the church calendar. And uh, so we, we celebrate Christmas and Easter. When you're Pentecostal, that's all you need. And, and not only that, we, you know, Pentecostals didn't really exist by name until about 115 years ago. So they uh, kind of jettisoned a lot of stuff. They were, yeah, they, they're still doing all right, but it was just a different tradition. But I, came, I became a Methodist in about 1996, and I became a Methodist pastor in 1999. And so I began to get a little used to the church calendar, what it meant and what the days were, and a little bit about the colors when they would hang banners in the, in the auditorium or around the altar. And so I began to practice some of these things. But Ash Wednesday's kind of a, a different thing for me. You know, you've got 40 days of prep before Maundy Thursday. And so you count down from today, Ash Wednesday to Maundy Thursday. It's actually 38 days. Go figure. Yeah. 40 days. But it rounded up. We rounded up to 40 days. And so we're celebrating and thinking and really taking time to consider where we are in relationship to God. And it's a good, it's a good marker, even though it's a not an ancient tradition. I guess ancient in some sense. It came into existence as far as the church celebrating the somewhere between the 6th and the 8th centuries. But it's a good reminder, isn't it, of the way that we're supposed to live daily, broken, needy, and depending upon God, walking with Him. And so this gives us a good road mark at this time, Ash Wednesday, we come and we consider our mortality, our frailty, and how we are dependent upon God. Because we, we tend to lose sight of that, don't we? We kind of lose sight of the fact that I need God, not health insurance. I need God, you know, not a, not a condo and veil. I need God, not this. I need God. And God then brings all good things into our life as we look to him. So as we look at this this evening, I'm going to be reading to you out of Luke chapter 15. Very, very familiar story. Uh, maybe one of the premier stories that's known around the world for anybody that's ever heard the Bible preached. It's page 1112 to 1113 in your pew Bible. And as we, be, as we begin to consider this, I want you to think why we're here. Why we're here. Well, we're here just like I told you. We're here because we are frail, because we are dependent, and we need the reminder to know that and come freshly to God. And then begin to take that as a kickstart and do that daily. Do that momentarily, living in the presence of God, living by the power of God. But why are we here? Well, the reason you and I are here is because Adam and Eve were there in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? And as Howard said, we are broken because of them. We're broken because of Adam and Eve, and we inherited from them a nature that's broken. And so David says, you know, I was conceived in sin, and in iniquity did my mother bring me forth. He uses three words in Psalm 51, iniquities, transgressions, and sins. Three big words that we need to take seriously. We are bent. Every person born in this age since Cain and Abel was born broken because Adam and Eve were broken. And so the only thing that a sinner can reproduce is another sinner, isn't it? You know, humans don't produce monkeys. 
Cows don't reproduce horses, but sinners do reproduce sinners, and sinners do something. They sin. So our nature, our inherent nature, that iniquitous nature is for us to wander from God, to push away from God, to be afraid of God. Adam and Eve in the garden, they're afraid of God, aren't they? I was preaching this, a uh, funeral one time in Spearman, Texas, and I had a bunch of bikers that were the pallbearers, and they were sitting up on the front pew, and they were pretty intimidating-looking guys, you know. And I remember I said, uh, anybody here afraid of God? And one of the guys raised his hand up. I thought, man, an honest man. He raised his hand up right in front of me, the preacher, and he's a biker. He, I'm afraid of him, you know. And he's afraid of God. We are, by nature, afraid of God. And so God comes to us. He pursues Adam and Eve in the garden when they're chafing because of the stuff they're wearing as clothing. They're trying to make their own clothing. Instead of the glory of God, they got fig leaves. They're, they're chafed. And God comes and he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? Think he didn't know? Sure he knew. But he wanted Adam to know that he was coming for him. And so we're here because of Adam and Eve. We're here on Ash Wednesday because of Adam and Eve. But we're also here because you and me. Because we've done the same thing that Adam and Eve do. We fled from God. We've tried to get away from God. Sometimes we still try to do that. Which keeps us away from prayer. We think, man, I, I don't want to go talk to God about that. I don't want to confess that. Duh. He already knows these things. But he sends Jesus who comes calling. He comes calling for the sinners. Jesus to save the lost. Those who had rebelled against God. That's us. He didn't come to seek and save the found because there were no found. He didn't come to minister to the righteous because there weren't any. He came to minister to the unrighteous. That's us. And we come and acknowledge that. We come and acknowledge that on Ash Wednesday. God, I'm unrighteous, I'm needy, I'm broken, I'm frail. I try, I try, but I still transgress. Because of my iniquity, God, I still transgress. And then, then we, we have these revival times, these refreshing times. You know, you've, you've had them, I had them. I had one this afternoon. I went home and I, I put on, a, on, on my phone, I listened to, to Keith Green sing a Prodigal Son Suite, 12 minutes and 18 seconds. And just broke down and wept. So good to weep. Just broke down and wept over what God did in receiving me back. He had no reason to do that. In fact, he had every reason not to receive me. But he sent Jesus after me. And when I came, he received me. It's an astounding thing. And it's not any less full. It's not any less powerful today than it was. In fact, it gets... There's a song we used to sing when I was a kid. Get sweeter as the days go by. Get sweeter as the moments fly. Gets richer, fuller, deeper, sweeter, sweeter, sweeter as the days go by. Talking about loving Jesus. I don't always feel that. But sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. It hits me like a ton of bricks. God came for me. Dan, Dan, where are you? Where are you? And so I want to read this to you out of Luke chapter 15, part of this story that's so familiar to us. But sometimes we, we forget just how great, how great is the heart of the Father, the prodigal son and the prodigious father. Before I read, let's pray again. Father, we're asking, we're dependent upon you in every way. God, we can't understand your word if you don't tell us what it means. And God, I mean that not intellectually only, but in a heart response, God where we're reshaped from the inside out. Oh, God, come. Have pity upon us. You have in Christ Jesus. Do it freshly this evening. God, do a good work in every one of us. Lord, we want to leave this place 
aglow with your spirit, God loving you more, more determined by the strength of your spirit and his inspiration in us to walk closely with you. So do that for us this evening, God. We ask in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And Jesus said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, him who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and continued to kiss him. That's what it says originally. He was continuing to kiss him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Forty-seven years ago this month, February 1973, I met Jesus Christ. I've been buried six months, and I was living in Nacogdoches, Texas. Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches. You've got ticks and fleas and roaches, Nacogdoches. And it did too, like two-inch red flying roaches. And I was going to forestry school because I knew that Amarillo had a tree. <laughs> I was going to take care of that tree. And I had I'd met my wife a couple of years before that. We got married, went down to East Texas to finish college. And I'd really kind of straightened my life up. I'd found a niche, you know, and my wife had straightened me up a lot. We straightened each other a lot. And one night I was studying for a test, and we, were, we had this house on the edge of the woods, and my dog was sitting in the living room in February. The door was, spring door was open because it's East Texas. And about five sheriff's cars drive up in the front of my yard, put on their brakes, this dirt yard, slam on their brakes, dust flying everywhere. My dog starts jumping at the doorman, just barking and rapping and yapping, you know. And these guys come in, pull the screen door open, and, and uh, we get busted for drug possession. And so I'd grown up in a very godly, gracious, loving Christian home, man. And now I'm sitting in the Nacogdoches County Jail. I took everything that my mom and dad showed me and lived before me and spoke to me. And I said, I want to go my own route. I want to live my own life. You know, thanks for paradise, God. But I've got a better offer. Really? That's the way we think. Temptation comes our way. Why, why do we bite on temptation? Looks like a better offer than knowing God. That's why we bite. Why do we sin against our neighbor? Because it looks like, hey, we're in the right. This is a little bit better deal. I can get one up on him. 
Why do we partake of things we shouldn't partake at? Look at things that we shouldn't look at. Listen to things that we shouldn't listen to. Smoke things we shouldn't smoke. Because we're convinced by our flesh and the temptation of the devil, this is going to be a better deal. So I had to call my dad from 550 miles away and say, Dad, I'm in Nacogdoches County Jail. No Google, so he couldn't Google, you know, and say, give me a good lawyer in Nacogdoches County. They didn't even, I mean, he, he only had wired phones with a rotary dial. You know what a rotary dial is? Yeah. And so he had to find a lawyer. I don't know exactly how to do it. This lawyer came and got Denise and I out of jail. And it was just coincidental. Of course, it's not since I'm a Presbyterian. It was the sovereign providence of God that this lawyer was a Baptist deacon. He was a good man. I can't vouch for all Baptist deacons, but this guy was a good man. And he helped us out, and he went the extra mile. He was very gracious to us. I go home, my name's in the paper. You know you always want to get your name in the paper? But not in the arrest report. You know what? You don't, you don't want your name in the paper in the arrest report. So I go home, my professors have all read this, you know. My landlord, I'm sure, has read this. You know, he's a banker, he reads the paper. And so I'm thinking, this guy's going to, he's going to kick us out of here. And so he drives up one day. I'm sitting with my buddy who's got a big red beard because he's bald so he can't grow any hair. And I've got my long Goldilocks hair down to here, you know. And we're sitting on the front porch, gloom and agony, despair on me, man. Thinking, what have I done? I've really screwed up. Really screwed up. And our landlord pulls up. Just so happens he's a Baptist deacon in another Baptist church. And he has read about us. And he said, I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And I'm here to help you out if I can. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Especially in 1973 in East Texas. You remember Easy Rider? Yeah. That's just a few years before that. So within a couple of three weeks, Denise and I gave our lives to Jesus. And we came down the... The middle aisle, the First Baptist Church in Nacogdoches County, big church, huge university ministry, you know. Came down there and gave our lives to Christ Jesus. And I remember I wrote my dad a letter. And you remember people used to, some of y'all don't know this, people used to write on paper with pens and pencils. And then they would put, they would fold those things up. They called them letters. And they would put them in an envelope with a stamp. And they would send them by post. And so we used to do that all the time, writing back and forth. And I remember I wrote to my dad and I said, Dad, I want you to know, I gave my life to Jesus. And he wrote back, and right at the top of the page, big letters, which he usually did in all of his letters, PTL, son, praise the Lord. Yeah. What a great thing. You know, I, I got to tell you this in just a minute. But So about a year and a half later, I'm getting out of college, and we're going to the University of Idaho so I can get my master's degree in forestry because I know these tre the tree here in Amarillo is getting sicker. I've got to get some graduate-level education to fix this thing up, you know. And so we're, we're coming through Amarillo with a trailer, and, and my dad is on the 27th floor of the tower. He used to work for Excel. And so he took me up to show me his office suite, and we were talking to all the people he worked with, and he's, he was introducing me to people. He introduced me to his secretary, you know. And, and uh, when we got ready to walk off, the secretary says, Good to meet you. She said, Dick, that's my dad's name. Dick, that's a great son you've got there. And I remember you know what my dad said? He said, he's never done anything that made me ashamed of him. That's what my dad said. This boy right here that cost me thousands of dollars, that thumbed his nose at 
all that I'd modeled for him and done for him, he's never done anything that's made me ashamed of him. Do you know that this young son came back to his dad? His dad was not ashamed of him. He was not ashamed of him. He'd been longing. Do you know that this father had been racing after his son down through the corridors of his conscience? That young man had been trained in loving God. He had been trained in praying for his meals, in going to Sabbath school, in going to the temple to worship. He'd been trained to honor God, and he left, and he wanted to go his own route. His dad blessed him and sent him off. He didn't try to hold him. And when he came back smelling like pigs and totally covered with dirt and smell, his father wasn't ashamed of him. He ran to him. He kissed him and he kept kissing him. And he said, oh, son, I thought you were dead. You're alive. You're alive. Not only that, he put a robe on him. Now, underneath that robe was the same smell, the same dirt that he came home with. You see what's going on here? God is not ashamed of us. And if we'll come home. And isn't it good to know that Jesus, the Father, and the Son are the one? Jesus said, I and the Father, we're one. When Jesus tells this story about how God is so good, we can believe it because he's one with the Father. I know sometimes we think, yeah, y'all didn't have good dads like me maybe. Maybe they neglected you. Maybe they weren't really there. Maybe they were emotionally distant. Maybe they were abusive. But that's not God. Here's God. Here's God the Father, the prodigious Father who gives to the prodigal and restores him fully. You know, my dad never done to me the rest of his life. He didn't say, well, son, that's about all I could spend on you, getting that lawyer down there. Do you know that he helped me and my family? When I went into ministry, they adopted us like missionaries, sent me like 100 bucks a month to help pay my rent all the years that I was being a minister. Isn't that something? He never done me. He never took, said, well, you spent your inheritance. He didn't do that. He reinstated me fully, and that's what this father was doing. But here's the, here's the caveat that you and I have to watch for. We come into this grace. When we meet Jesus, when we meet him, we're head over heels for Jesus. Oh, man, Jesus, you are so beautiful, so good, so tender, so kind. Thank you for introducing me to the Father. But we all have this segue, this default, and if we're not careful, we become like the elder brother. And we begin to think, hey, look at this nice robe I'm wearing. Look at this ring I've got on these shoes. I must be really special. I have really merited this. We, we don't merit anything. But God gives it to us because of his goodness and because Jesus, who does merit it, paid our tab. He paid the bill. He justified us freely. But here's what's interesting to me about this prodigious father. Instead of slapping that elder brother down and saying, You Pharisee! He said, Oh, son, didn't you realize that everything that I have belongs to you? He deals with the elder brother and the prodigal son the same way with grace. He wants them both to understand everything that he has is theirs. Everything. Oh, little flock, don't be afraid. It's your father's goodwill to give you the kingdom. Jesus came to give himself for us. He desires that we come to him freely knowing that he invites us. Why would we ever be afraid of coming to God? Because we've misconstrued him. And so Jesus straightens it out. He says, this is what your father is like. He's just like this. He and I are one. 
And so when we come to Ash Wednesday and we understand underneath and inside, there are some things that are out of order. We got some ambitions that shouldn't be there. We got some motivations we, th we know we'd like to get rid of. We got some habits that are just ungodly. They're not like our dad in heaven. But God says, remember this, I've robed you up in the righteousness of my son. And all I'm asking you to do is to begin to grow, just incrementally grow up in to the fullness of who he is. It's an astounding thing. From one perspective, we are, as Luther said, we're justified freely in Christ Jesus. From the human perspective and even our own perspective, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has paid the price. He's given us his robe and we're growing up inside of that. Well, I want to encourage you in this ash, this ash season, this ash Wednesday and 40 days to follow 38 actually. These days as we follow, you remember this. God's grace and his righteousness triumph over our sinfulness. But our sinfulness is real. Our sinfulness, our need, our brokenness is very real. And God says, I want to help you deal with that. I want you to grow up. I don't want you to be the way that you were. But I want you to know I love you. I've never been ashamed of you. I wasn't ashamed of my younger son. And I'm not ashamed of you. There is nothing in our life that God's ashamed of. He may be disappointed. And he may let us eat, pig, eat with the pigs for a while. But he'll never be ashamed of us. He loves us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for the great love that you have for us. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that wherever we are on this continuum of growing up in the grace of Christ Jesus, wherever we are, God, your grace continues to fit the bill, to fill us up to fullness. God, it even says your word declares that you will give us strength of spirit to know the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of your love and to be filled up with who you are. So God, come and do that. Give us that kind of strength, spiritual vitality that we might grow, God. That we might grow and continue to grow all through eternity. The finite growing into infinity, never to reach the end, God. Always more to come. Thank you for grace, God. Thank you for grace revealed in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, as we can see in the story of the prodigal son, God loves us because he loves us. And the love of God is communicated so clearly to us at this table as we come and are reminded of Christ's body that was given for us and his blood that was shed for us. This is not a Presbyterian table. No, it's the Lord's table. And our Savior invites all those who believe in him to share the feast which he has prepared. But before we come to this table, the Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we should examine ourselves. One of the ways that we examine ourselves to prepare our heart to receive this wonderful feast is to state what it is we believe. And so as Presbyterians, we turn to the words of the Apostles' Creed. If you're new to the Apostles' Creed, just to give you a little history, it was actually formed in the second century AD. It's faithful to what the Apostles taught. People back then didn't have leather-bound Bibles because there was no printing press. The Bible was still being put together in many ways. And so what they did is they wanted to 
make sure that the people could somehow communicate the cores of the faith. And so the Apostles' Creed is a wonderful summary of what the faith in Christ is all about. And people would often say this before they would be baptized. They would affirm their faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. They would affirm their faith before they came to this table. And the Apostles' Creed was actually written to help battle heresies, to help fight against false teachings. And so as the saints who have gone before us, I invite you to stand and join me in saying the words of the Apostles' Creed as they're printed in your bulletin. I would point out one word that's in the Apostles' Creed if you're not used to saying it. It does say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The, the, the word there is in the small c. It means the universal church. Anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord is a part of that church. And so we believe in the church of Jesus Christ. Church, what is it we believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Of course, this evening is Ash Wednesday. We come to have these ashes imposed on us to remind us that our sin has consequences, that it was our sin that helped bring Jesus here to this earth to die on a cross so that our sins might be reconciled. So as a part of our Ash Wednesday service this evening, I invite you to join me in the litany of penitence that is written in your bulletin. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind, O God, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. We confess to you, O God, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience in our lives. Our self-indulgent appetites and ways and our exploitation of others. Our anger at our own frustration and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves. Our negligence in prayer and worship and our failure to commend the faith that is in us. Please be seated. And please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, on this Ash Wednesday, we are ever mindful of our sin and our need to confess and our need to repent. We thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, but you have provided a way out. By your Holy Spirit, you empower us to be faithful, to turn from our sins and to turn towards you. So God, we pray that not only as we confess our sins that we seek forgiveness, but Lord, we also seek repentance, a change of heart, that we might be changed from the inside out so that we might live new lives that reflect your love. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Scripture tells us that men and women will come from north and south and east and west that sit at table in the kingdom of God. As I said a moment ago, this is not simply a Presbyterian table. It's the Lord's table, and our Savior invites anyone who believes that Jesus Christ alone is Lord, you are welcome to this feast which he has prepared. For on the night that our Lord and Savior was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And said, so this is my body, given for you. The same way after supper, he took the cup. I said, this cup is the new covenant. 
poured in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For as the Apostle Paul reminds us, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, and he is coming again. The gifts of God for the people of God. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray, gracious and loving God, it is a right and good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, maker of heaven and earth. Oh God, we thank you for these elements of bread and juice, physical reminders of your great love for us, that your body was given for us, that your blood was shed for us so that our sins might be atoned for once and for all. As Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. Oh God, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you might use this bread and juice and by the power of your Holy Spirit to draw us ever closer into your presence so that we might better reflect your love. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might use this bread and juice to nourish us and to strengthen us for the journey ahead so that in everything we say and do, we might bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This evening, we're going to receive the elements by intinction, which means you will take the bread and, and you will dip it in the cup and you can consume those together. We're gonna ask you to walk down the center aisle and uh, Dan's gonna have a station over here and I'll have a station over here where we'll have an opportunity to impose the ashes on you. And we're gonna say the words that we find in Genesis chapter three, where God tells Adam, remember you are dust and dust you shall return. The ashes remind us of our mortality. But as we then move to the elements of the bread and the juice, we're also reminded of our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose again, death doesn't have the final say. That in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our sins have been atoned for. And so we can walk in new life in him together. Again, I would ask you to walk down the center aisle. We'll start with the first row and second row and kind of work our way down the center aisle. Then if you could return to your seats down the side aisles so that we might sing the closing hymn together, a wonderful hymn, Nothing But the Blood. The gifts of God for the people of God. Come, the feast is ready. And if you need gluten-free, go down Dan's side because Andrew will have gluten-free wafers for you. <laughs> 